you're listening to the True Life Church podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. Uh, it's been a, a week that, uh, um, again, has made, hopefully made us grateful to have a facility. Um, one of ours walking out uh, after giving the firefighters the, the grand tour to have access to every room. Uh, last week, everyone was already outside, and I was unlocking all the doors so they could run around with their heat signature guns and whatever to make sure that there was no fire in our space. And I was walking outside, and uh, one of the teens looked at me. He's like, "Why are you smiling?" <laughs> at this point, I'm just going to pull up a lawn chair and popcorn and just watch it burn, you know. So, <clears throat> so it's just a building, but uh, thankful to have it, right? Thankful to have, it, especially in the coming months, air conditioning and wonderful luxuries. Uh, we, we've had a, a couple of hiccups over the past number of weeks. You know, one Sunday there was no water. Here, you may or may not have been aware of that. Their, became, their water got fixed by the time you got here, but that was an interesting morning. There's a fire. There's a whole bunch of uh, challenges, you know, that are um, making it, uh, I won't say difficult. It's an opportunity to overcome uh, just being here. Uh, so I'm thankful for that. I also joked last week that... Um, uh, that I would just preach last week's message. So that's where we're going to begin today. Uh, no, we're not. We're going to go on. I hope that you were able to um, pay attention near the last 10 minutes. I saw everyone was looking around and we were all spelling something. That's fine. Letting our elders take care of what needed to be taken care of uh, back there. It's so funny, Shannon, up here in the front row, I finished, you know, and kind of tied it off with the with the phrase, you know, there's a fire burning, I hope it's inside you. And then she stood up, just, she had no idea why people were leaving. Um, she's like, preach it, there's a fire. I'm like, no, Shannon, there, there's a fire. Uh, we, need to, we need to exit the building. Um, so I hope you were able to take some of that with you last week and encourage you again to read your Bibles day by day. That's where we finished up uh, the message and tying that home. Uh, Grace Dixon messaged me a couple of days later in the week. She's like, hey, I'd really appreciate your notes. I'd love to hear what, what you would, were about to say. I'm like, that was it. Like, the fire cut me off. We were about to be done anyway. You were getting out of here before or at noon, and you didn't even get a chance to see it because of the fire. That was the end of the message. So we'll see if there's another one in the store for us this morning. One of uh, the habits that we are starting here um, is, again, encouraging you to bring your Bible with you every single week to make notes, have a little journal or things like that. And another habit uh, that we are starting here at True Life Church is standing for the Word of God as we read it. Uh, the church, Christians in, in particular, Americans, have become a lazy people. Uh, we will stand in line for restaurants. Uh, I went out to dinner with some friends, and we stood waiting for 45 minutes for our reservation uh, for the table that we had called in for. We'll stand for that. We will stand for lines and targets and restaurants, the DMV. We will stand in line for hours to ride the newest roller coaster at Disney. We'll stand in line for movie tickets. So I encourage you to stand with me for the reading of today's message, today's scripture. Uh, I know we are in the book of Nehemiah, but our scripture passage that we are standing for today comes actually from the book of Mark, chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. So you're welcome to turn there or simply just stand as we read together from God's word. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him, Jesus, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And we had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. He asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look 
like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, the reading of this word. Simple, God, I pray that you tie it into um, the message that you have for us today, that we would all be uh, corporately um, and individually humbled, corrected, and encouraged by the teaching from your word this morning. All these things we ask in the precious and holy name of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. You may be seated. We are going to now travel back into our book of Nehemiah. And we're going to pick up in chapter 9. And... uh, I'm about to read all of it in chapter 9, verses 1 through 38. Um, and then we're going to break it down. And I want, I want to read all of this um, because of, well, it's the Word of God. And uh, it's just one of those chapters that we're going to put, I'm just not going to break it up. Um, so here we go. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, and the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them, commandments and statutes and the law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness." The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. 
You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey." Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. This is important, not only because it's the Word of God, but because it's setting the stage for where we're going. And we need to understand as we move through the book of Nehemiah what is going on here. Last week we talked about the Feast of Booths and how they stood uh, many, many days reading, stood for a good portion of the entire day hearing the book of the law, which is the first five books of our Bible. Again, it's not riveting. It's not super exciting. Um, yet they stood and they listened, even women and children, and they were able to understand the teaching as the leaders went out and, and gave instruction to the people. If anyone had a question, they would be like, all right, I'm, let's talk about what this means. And here they, they're coming back, they've read the law, 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 and now here just the, at the end of this month, here they are again, they've read all of it, and read from the book of the law, their Lord for, uh, or the God for a quarter of the day, they probably got a little bit more efficient at it by that point, later in the month they're probably getting good at it, and people are, are probably saying two things. On one hand, it's, do I really need to hear this again? 
And hopefully, on the other hand, it's what am I going to take away from it this time? And I hope that that is our understanding of the Word of God when we preach and when we teach here and you read at home and with your families, oh, this again is one option. Let's not choose that option. It's what is God wanting to teach me from this again? And sometimes we have to read and reread and reread and reread or hear and rehear the same message again and again until it finally starts to sink in. Because what we see here is that the picture that this paints of the Israelite people and translates for us today is that we are infant, immature, and impatient people. And it sounds like this, basically, it sounds like a dialogue between parent and child when we really break it down. And what we have as they are getting ready to, to make this covenant, saying, all right, we're coming back again. We've heard the law, we are understanding it, and now we're going to try to abide by it again. And when they're standing there, they're recapping the history of their entire people to remind themselves that, hey, this has happened before. We've come back to God before, and then we're disobedient. We've come back to God before, and then worshipped other idols. We've come back to God before, and then broken His laws, broken His commandments. We're rebellious, we're presumptuous. And that's such a fun word. It's in here a couple of times, and its usage, you can just hop on the Google machine, and its usage over the last 100 years or so has just absolutely tanked. Um, So it's just just a fun word. Uh, We're going to talk about it in, in a little bit. And, and they're about to make a covenant here going into the next chapter, in the next chapter 10. And we're going to come back into this next week. And before they are making a covenant, anytime anyone would make a covenant, the relationship of the two parties making the covenant would be established. All right? Now, in most cases, anyone who made a covenant would already have a pre-existing relationship with someone else. This is not always the case. Uh, sometimes, uh, I think there's a time that Israelites made a covenant with the Gibeonites, and, and it, they hadn't known each other by that point, but they make, make a covenant and then they move on. But regardless, even so, it's established who the other party is, what their identity is. And what we see as we're walking through this, if we kind of break it down into these things, we have this answer and response, this identity and alternate identity. And what we have is the identity of God and the attributes of God and then the identity of the Israelite people and their attributes. And basically the entire thing can be summed up in verse 33 if we want to bounce there really quickly and then we're going to again continue breaking this out. Um, Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. We might say, well, what have these people done to act wickedly? They have come back out of uh, enslavement and bondage into, um, into technically a farther away enslavement and bondage, uh, still under the king of Persia. But now they're back in their own land and they're trying to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. What have these people done that have been so horrendous? Well, not only are we getting to that, but we see this where the chapter begins. When they were all assembled and fasting in a sackcloth and earth on their heads, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They're asking forgiveness, an apology for things they did not do and have yet to do. And yes, some things they have done. We've talked about that in chapter 3. But the generations that have led this to the point, that's not their fault. And so we might like to stand here in 2022 and not take ownership for my great, 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 great grandfather who at some point in time came over on some boat. Right? But that has led us and our nation to be a sinful nation. A crooked nation. A nation who is trying their hardest to abandon God and replace Him with literally anything else. 
And we have to have an understanding of where we've come from. And I challenge you, if you want some homework for this week, take a pile of post-it notes with two colors. I almost did this today, but I'm not sure how awkward it was going to be. Take a pile of two colors post-it notes, and on one post-it note, write things that you have done that would be an offense to God out of His law, out of His will, choices that you made that were not obviously healthy or holy, and put that on one post-it note on a timeline on your wall. And then on the second color of post-it note, go back and write how God has redeemed, forgiven, been merciful, been just even to you, discipline and correction when you needed it, and then go back and follow that other post-it note. And what you will see is, is an identical picture here to the Israelite people. And what we're going to see is that we like to think of our, our time on this earth the way that we put it on a tombstone. In other words, it's linear. I begin here, I go forward, I end here, I die. There's a phrase that says, live the dash even, right? You might have heard that a little dash in between your birth date and your death date, live the dash. I would posit that if we think about time being circular... Rather than linear, it will change our perspective. Uh, I begin here, I go forward, and I end here. But what if I begin here, fall into sin and grace, and are forgiven and redeemed? And our goal in walking the Christian life is to not do this again and again and again and again. Our goal is to find balance at the top of this circle. And it's a hard balancing act, isn't it? It's hard to get right. Well, it's actually easy to get right if we are following the Word of God. But we are sinful. So just challenge you to go home and do your own timeline and see how God has restored, redeemed, corrected, and been just and merciful to you. And you're going to find, hopefully, as I have done, a lot of similarities between myself and the Israelite people, being a disobedient, presumptuous, and stiff-necked person. And so the Israelites are about to enter into this covenant and say, all right, we're going to come back around. We're going to come back to, to what we should have been doing, and we're going to make a covenant and it's established here that, you know, again, we just read in verse 33, the identities of the two people, two parties making the covenant. God is holy, merciful, just, gracious, forgiving, a promise keeper, a provider, a miracle maker. And the Israelites are disobedient, stiff-necked, presumptuous, rebellious, law-breaking people. And they're about to enter into this covenant. And if you are married today, you also have entered into a covenant, which is another reason why if you are not married, take marriage seriously. Don't just jump into this. See, business has things called contracts. And contract means that you get what you want, and for the right price, I get what I want. And there's a transaction in this. I go to Starbucks... I want strawberry acai lemonade, right? That's what I want. What does Starbucks want? My money. So I say, okay, give me the Trenta. If you didn't even know that's a size, it is. It's larger than large. Give me the Trenta. This will change your mind. This will change your life. Uh, give me the Trenta of the star strawberry acai lemonade. And for the right transaction, they get what they want. And I get what I want, most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. But this is not a covenant. That is a contractual or transactional obligation. A covenant means both parties working together for mutual gain. For mutual goals. So you enter into a covenant with your husband, with your wife. A mutual goal might be... Shared life experience. 
I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. A mutual goal might be having kids. A mutual goal might be a certain lifestyle, location, or vocation. Well, what is the mutual goal then and the covenant entered into between the Israelite people and God? Because clearly the Israelites have little to offer. The mutual goal is the glorification of God. That's what it's always been about. And we read this here at the bottom of chapter uh, 9, verse 9 and 10. And God made a name for himself. That's what it's about. God making a name for himself. So that all the world will come to know that there is one God. And believe and trust in this one God. It's all about making a name for God. And that's what we do in our time on this earth should be worshiping God. So we are in a covenant with your husband or wife, and the Israelites are coming back to make a covenant here, new covenant with the Lord. And so the two identities are known. And so we see God's properties here. And attributes of creator of all, made all things, all planet, earth, heaven, moon, stars, and even the Israelites. In verse 6, God chose Abram. In verse 7, God is a promise keeper. In verse 8 and 32, God sees and hears what is going on, and his heart is moved. In verses 9, 27, and 28, God performed miracles. Verse 9, 11, and 12, God's about making a name for himself. We read that in verse 10. God gives direction and wisdom in verses 12 through 14. He's a provider in verses 15, 20, 21, 22 through 25. And I'm saying this now so you can, if you want to go back and listen to this later and make some notes. Um, God is a provider. He's merciful in verse 19, 27, 28, 31. God is just. He gives discipline, we might even say, in verses 27, 28, and 30. God is gracious in verse 31. God is great, mighty, and awesome, they attribute to him in verse 32, and loving in verse 32, as well as in verse 17. And again, here we have the properties of Israel. They've acted presumptuously. And if you don't know what presumptuously means, this is a fun word again for today. It means overstepping your bounds, being impatient. Or acting without permission. So they've acted presumptuously in verse 16 and 29. They're stiff-necked, stubborn in verse 16 and 29 as well. They did not disobey and were disobedient in 16, 26, and 29. And there's an interesting parallel in in the next verse, in verse 17 as well as 29. It's not that they, they did not disobey, they refused to obey And they make the distinction in that. And if you have kids, you know this distinction. You have a child who does not obey, right? Versus a child who refuses to obey. I want to argue that the punishments are not equivalent. There is a distinction between a child who does not obey and refuses to obey. And so they make that distinction here. Israelites made idols in verse 18. We're going to come to this in Exodus as well. They were rebellious in verse 26. Unlawful, 26 and 29. They were murderers. They killed their own prophets in verse 26. And they did evil in verse 28. Now, friends, if you and I knew anyone else who matched up with this description, would we want to hang out with them? But if we are honest this morning, isn't this us? There's a popular show, at least for a few more weeks on, called This Is Us. I have yet to see an episode, but I like the title. And friends, this is us. Not much has changed from the time of the Israelites, has it? This still describes... Us. And basically, these, all of these things boil down into four main areas, traps and even warnings for us this morning. These, these danger areas that, 
um, the Israelites have as their attributes. The first is, again, presumptuous, just because I like the word. Presumptuous, getting out of bounds, being impatient, acting without permission. Galatians chapter 5, just one verse, I'm going to go here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. I want to make sure I want to read it correctly. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. One of our temptations is to be a head, we think, of God. I, I can see the way this is going to work. I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to take this. Did, did you pray about it? Are you being obedient? That might be the thing that you should not do. Because oftentimes, the thing that we think we should do, the thing, the rational thing, the logical thing, is not the godly thing. It's not as God is not bound to our framework of understanding, or even to the laws of physics or finances. So the logical thing, what we might think is the smart thing, might not be the godly thing. So we must stay in step with the Spirit. Well, how are you going to accomplish this? By reading the Word of God again. We're back to last week, day by day, by day, by day, by day, by day, by day. There's a movie with Ben Stiller that references that. By day, by day. Friends, we don't need to be ahead of God. The opposite of being presumptuous is being patient, waiting on the Lord. And you would be very displeased in the time of this message if I then went to all the passages that talk about waiting on the Lord. One of the, ne- the second main area or a trap, a pitfall for us to learn from the people of the Israelites is being disobedient. And for that, we're going to return to another scripture we read last week. We're going to read it again now in a different light. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. What do I look like again? Huh. Black hair, tall, short, Caucasian, African American, Hispanic, blue eyes, brown eyes. What? what? Who am I? I'd be like, you got a problem, friend. All right, let's go back to the mirror. Let me remember her again. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. And is doing. If we are going to be obedient, we must be listening to again the Word of God. What does it say to do? What is God calling us to do? Jesus also references this in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. It's just a few verses here. And as Jesus was speaking and driving out unclean spirits, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. In other words, how great is your mom? How great is your mom? Sing with me. How No, it's like Jesus kind of redirects things back to what it, what it should be about. And he said, He said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He's not saying Mary was bad. He's saying, let's put things into perspective here. Blessed is the one who, who hears the word of God and keeps it. We discover from these two passages, it's, it's easy to be a hearer 
harder to be a doer. There's a lot of people who hear, fewer who do. Doing is the act of obedience, being obedient to what God has told us to do. I had a moment this past week, and uh, uh, I had my uh, I was I was making uh, uh, lunch. I was home uh, for I don't know what was it Wednesday. I don't remember. Could have been Wednesday. It's been an interesting week. I was got to make lunch for uh, my sons, and I said, "All right, now go go grab your waters because uh, they have little sippy cup waters that they take around with them all day that need constantly refilling." Um, so I said, "Go get your waters." Landon says, okay, I'm good. So he runs off, and Caleb goes, no day. And Caleb runs off, and, and he goes and gets it. And, and, and they come back, and they both got waters. And Landon says, I got my water. And then Caleb goes, ah! You know, and so that we've known he's accomplished his goal, too. And Landon promptly says, Daddy, I was first. Yay, I did it. My perspective as a father is like, you both won because you both obeyed. I had to tell that to my son. It's like, it's not about who finished first. You both did what I told you to do. Referencing now again the parable of the, the, uh, the master who gives the different talents to uh, the, the servants. And the one who had five multiplied it to ten. The one who had two multiplied it to four. And then the one who had one just buried it in the ground. So I'm looking at my, my sons. It's like five to ten. Great. Two to four. Great. You, you both obeyed. Hooray you. It's, it's not a race. It's just a call to obedience. So they were hearers and doers. And I think nothing makes a parent more proud, right? Unfortunately, as the children grow up, sometimes this seems to be the exception rather than the rule. So I think the goal of parenting is making that the problem that, man, be doers of the hearing. And that's our call. We're hearing it. We're hearing, read your word day by day. We're hearing God is holy. We're hearing, don't worship other things. We're hearing, reprioritize our time. We're hearing a bunch of things over the past numbers of weeks. But are we doing it? And if we don't, we know what's coming. Chastisement, punishment, discipline, correction. And it is always painful at the time. Friends, let's avoid that as a church, right? Let's be doers. Let's be obedient. Another thing, a pitfall and a trap we can learn from the history of the Israelite people that they've recapped for us in this chapter is idol worship, the worship of idols. And they've recalled the, the account of, of, of the history of going back and the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, the parting of the Red Sea, classic stories that we even know, and I'm sure the Israelites knew even better the history of their own people, but they recap it all. And we're going to actually take a little sidestep here into the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Actually, that's going to be Exodus, yeah, we'll do that. Chapter 20, yeah, we'll go there first. And then we'll go over to chapter 32. Exodus chapter 20. And I just want to quickly recap a little bit of this in case we are unclear what the first few commandments are. They are the following. And God spoke all these words saying, Number one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Obedience. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Notice that his name in vain and numerous other times. I believe it's 160 times in the New Testament alone. Jesus referenced God as a father. Yet there, is, uh, there was a, even a church this past week in Texas 
that sang this past Sunday for Mother's Day, you're a good, good mother. It's who you are. It's who you are. And switched out the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer, among other things. Friends, be wary. These dangerous times. Do not take the Lord of the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath day of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the rest of the, the commandments that follow are about uh, an overflow and how to treat our neighbors after loving God. And so obviously we see here in the first few verses here that idol worship is bad. Yet we've seen in the book of Nehemiah that this is a constant trap. Right? Well, turn over a few pages into Exodus chapter 32. And I, I love this. I had the privilege of of teaching a, a few hours a webinar uh, about worship artistry. I was invited to do that from the Institute of Modern Worship, so I had the privilege of doing that this past week. And uh, this is one of the passages that I referenced that we can be careful about. Verse 1 through 6 of Exodus chapter 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, he was up there 40 days, and this was just 40 days far too long. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron, who is the priest and kind of worship leader guy, if you want to think about him that way. And they said to him, you know, up, make us gods who shall go before us. Dance, monkey, dance, and go create for us things that we can worship. To which Aaron said, absolutely not, there is but one God. Nope, 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 you're a good, good mother. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's, who, it's a ripoff of a horrible Chris Tomlin song, even... Uh, so anyway, so he, he caves. He absolutely caves, and he says, all right, you know, let's do it. So verse 2, Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Give me the little tiny gold things and bring them to me. <laughs> so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in the ears and brought them to Aaron and received the gold from their hand and fashioned it himself with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel. Look at this golden cow that we have made. This is what brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. That's worship, this tiny little golden thing. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Isn't that ironic? When they've just made idols. Oh, but we're going to worship God. See, we are in a dangerous area here in the text and here in our time because there are many places that by face appearance oh we worship the lord but inside are our idols so we the only way we're going to know that is by reading the word of god we're going to continue on into verse uh, 17 where i think it gets funny well, when Joshua heard the noise of the people, because they were all dancing around celebrating this little golden calf and thing, they shouted, and he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp, like there's chaos going on down the mountain. But he, Moses said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, I love this, and burned it with fire, melted it all down, and ground it into powder, and scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. Yeah, how's that? Where's your idol now, people? Look at the God you created. You just swallowed him. <laughs> Was he really a God? Nope. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you? They have brought such a great sin upon them. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, you know the people, that they are set on evil. Not my fault, blame them. Them people bad, me Aaron not so bad. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. He's been so long up a mountain, we're impatient. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. And they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and then out came this calf. Ta-da! It's like a magic, presto, golden calf-making machine. I put the gold in the fire, and then out came the calf. Voila! 
I'm not to blame. Does this sound like Genesis chapters 2 and 3 at all to anyone passing off of the blame? As a temptation for us. No, 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 it's really not that bad. It's just one soccer game a month that I'm not at worship. I just ran out of time today. I'll read my Bible again tomorrow. And on and on. It's really not that bad. You see, these people, I was even doing church things. These people, I was doing church things with the people and I ran out of time to, I, I, I didn't pray today at all. Finally, the people were unlawful. There's a difference between being disobedient and being unlawful. God had the commandments set, the rules established, and they all knew what they were to break the law. But there are other times when God told them to do things, when God specifically told Moses to do something or not do something, and Moses even broke, was disobedient and did it anyway. It's why Moses did not get to enter the promised land, because he was disobedient. It wasn't a law, but he did not listen to God. And so, friends, we have to be careful in the keeping of, of these commandments. Because we, again, if we are honest, you have been, God has been righteous in all that has come upon us, for God has dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. This is back to verse 33 in Nehemiah. Hooray, said everyone. Yay. A couple of things before we close. A couple of points to really think on this week. Number one, when left by themselves, people will create and worship idols. When left by themselves, people will create and worship idols. This is yet another good reason why we need to be in the Word daily. Let's not leave time for the world, because the world will destroy us. Let's leave time for the Word and be in the Word. Be disciplined in the Word. Be obedient to the Word. When left by themselves, people will create and worship idols. The second thing is weak leadership is dangerous. We saw that with Aaron. He was not strong enough, didn't have enough backbone to depend on God being God and say, chill people, let's give Moses 41 days instead of 40. Calm down. He's going to come down from the mountain. But the people grew impatient, so a weak leader led the people into destruction and punishment. Weak leadership is dangerous. You know where this applies most? Not business, not church even, your home. Weak leadership is dangerous. The parents, specifically also the father, if you have one in your situation. Most do, some don't. But implicitly, the fathers, the husbands, if you are a weak leader, you are a dangerous leader. Because without this, all other ground is sinking sand. We are called to build our foundation on the rock. There's a phrase which says we are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Ever heard this before? I want to challenge us to think that we are stuck on the rock or a hard place. The rock, our foundation, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. We are either stuck on a rock or the hard place, which is the world. Let's be stuck on the rock. Men, be leaders in your homes. In your businesses, yes, take ownership. In your corner of the office, the cubicle that shares yours, the kids that sit at your school cafeteria tables, take ownership of that space. Be a leader who leads 
with godly principles. Finally, I want to return to the passage where we started in Mark chapter 8. If you've been wondering why we started there, this might tie it together. And for that, I want to go just a little bit before the reading we did earlier in verse 14 of Mark chapter 8. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And you can probably do the math, one loaf of bread ain't going to feed everybody. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Watch out for what they're teaching, watch out for what they are practicing, watch out for what they are doing or not doing. And their takeaway is, we don't have bread. They're really paying attention to the lesson here, right? And they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. That's great, Jesus. One, we're back to this. One loaf. That's it. One loaf. And by this point, Jesus has already, on multiple occasions, fed thousands of people with little to nothing. And here they are in a boat being like, boo we have no bread. Boys, you just spent time with Jesus. Are you worried about bread right now? Like you've just seen him multiply it for thousands and thousands of people. You're like, oh, one loaf, not enough. And Jesus, aware of this, because the boat's not that big, y'all. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's probably just like about as long as this road, the boats that they would go out in the, in the seas and the lakes over there. You could easily hear what was going on at the other end of the boat. It's like, pss, 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 we have no bread. Jesus is like, I'm right here. Like I can hear you. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I've done, what I've done? Don't, don't you know that not to be concerned about the worldly? Boy, I'm trying to teach you. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Don't you remember? <sighs> When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Oh, uh, and they said 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? I said, uh, seven. I said to them, do you not understand? Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear. Well, guess what? They get out of the boat, and they come to a place called Bethsaida, which is what we read earlier. And so people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now, Jesus here, if we paid attention to this in verse 23, it's pretty interesting. Jesus took the blind man by the hand out of the village. Get out of this place. Later, we read that he's saying, Jesus says, woe to this place. We, I don't we have an exactly clear picture of what went on or what went down, but around the feeding of this town, there was a whole bunch of unfaithful people is what we come to learn. A whole bunch of unfaithful people in this area who were happy for the meal, but were unhappy to follow. Hearers, but not doers. And so Jesus says, you know what? You want to be healed? Come on, let's go. And he leads him, took him by the hand, and led him out of the village. When he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. It's blurry. Uh, I, there's this thing called, I guess it's Facebook Reels. Is that a thing? Okay, it's like little tiny short videos or whatever. You can tell how often I'm on social media, I guess, or not. Anyway, so I'm going through Reels this past week, and they had, I was, uh, look at one, and it, it, it showed a visual description of what it looked like to take the same picture and then with people with varying degrees of prescriptions that they need for corrective lenses and eyesight and everything. And so they showed the normal image and then they showed something with like a 1.5 negative prescription and negative 2.5, negative 3.5, and negative 5.5. I'm in negative 3.5 in case you're curious. And so I took the video and I said, Lisa, look, this is what it's like. And she's like, oh, oh, oh. She had to like look away. She's like, I'm going to be sick. I'm like, Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, church, you look beautiful today. <clears throat> I 
I see people, but they look like trees walking. I can see shapes now. I was completely blind, but I'm not completely healed. Here's where I was, not completely better. I see shapes. I see people. They look like trees walking. Now, this isn't a picture of Jesus' inability to do a complete healing. We get this kind of two-stage thing that only Mark writes about this healing specifically. We get this two-stage healing so that we understand that it's a process. So Jesus is taking the man out of the village, leads him out by the hand, spits on him. Can you see anything? I see it's blurry. Okay? And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, and now his eyesight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And then notice this also. Not only did Jesus take him out of the village, he said, Go home and don't even enter the village. Don't even, don't even go back to where you came from. Friends, once our eyes have been opened, we should not go back to where we've come from. And part of the picture we read earlier in Nehemiah is the Israelites kind of wanting to be back in slavery and bondage out of the exodus from Egypt. Wanting to return to enslavement and bondage. And God is the entire time saying, no, I want for you freedom and peace. There is a better way if you would listen and obey. But they were stubborn, stiff-necked, and presumptuous. I try to get in there as many times as I can today. I think that's six. Once our eyes have been opened, once we have understood the word of God, and I'll be honest with you, I had a moment and multiple moments this last week. It's like the more I read, the more I study, it's the less I feel I know. And yet the more I believe. It's like this weird, you know, if I, if I showed you, you know, um, I'm trying to think about, I can't have a good analogy because I'm off my notes here for, for the minute. You know, it, it's like you've, you've got a tiny picture of a mountain. It's like this big. And really close, this looks like a really big mountain. Like I can fit you all inside of it. And imagine if I, as I step back, the picture just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to like Mount Everest, yet I'm still here. What? Like that's, that's what it feels like spending time in the Word. And as our eyes get open, it's like, I don't want to go back to this size of mountain because it's puny and small and stupid. It's like Paul writes, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, I spoke like a child, but now my eyes have been opened. I don't want to go back to baby food. And so our call in the Christian walk for us today is don't go back. We're going forward. Don't revert to old habits. Don't go back to worldly standards. Remember where you've come from and don't, re- don't repeat it again and again. And again, and again, like, let's return to the Lord for real. And how about we stay there for a while? How about we camp out there for a while? How about we do read the word of God day by day? How about we are obedient? How about we do pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will for us in Christ Jesus? How about we do the word of God, not just listen to it? Once your eyes have been opened, you should not go back to where you came from. And that's my prayer for us this morning, is that God will continue to open our eyes. To reveal himself to us. To enable us to be lights in a dark world. Pointing right back to making the name for God. We've read the story of the Israelite people. Even again this morning, we know the type of people they are, and we would not probably want to associate with them, but again, this is us. And so they have literally almost nothing to offer in the covenant relationship with God. Nor do we. 
Yet, on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and took the cup and said, this is my blood of the new covenant, making a covenant with you. We have nothing to offer in the equation, but I will enter into a covenant relationship with you for mutual goal. Mutual goal, again, is the glorification of God forever and ever and ever. And this is the covenant relationship that we are invited into even right now. So friends, I want to invite you to stand.